Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground. Alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know? Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent family, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. Transforming truth truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground. Tonight, we thank you, and we thank you for your support at Midwinter. Tonight is our third installment of the 2014 Our Common Ground season, and we will be discussing the case of the IRP. And there's a lot of work to be done tonight, so we're not going to um, tawdry around. We do have some housekeeping things to go over. We want to um, welcome you and welcome all of the people who are um, supporters of this broadcast and who are interested in the case of six men who were convicted on federal charges who were officers at IRP Solutions Corporation, a black-owned company out of Denver, Colorado, that specialized in writing computer software centered around assisting law enforcement organizations around the world. 
and in 2005. IRP found themselves at the end of a federal investigation that ended with the IRP building getting raided by the FBI, their computers and intellectual property confiscated, and the heads of the company facing several years prison terms which they are currently serving. The IRP6, Kendrick Barnes, Gary Walker, Demetrius Hopper, Clinton Stewart, David Serperlo, and David A. Banks, devout and dedicated executives serving time in Colorado prison and their loved ones and us not understanding why. From the perspective of those who worked and worshipped with these men, the fingerprints of racial bias are clearly visible to the naked eye. You are listening to Our Common Ground, and if you'd like to join us in our chat room, which is live, open, and unmoderated, you can do so at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. And before we get started, we want to congratulate Dwayne Alford, who is the new vice president of TruthWorks Network, and we thank him for his committed passion to Black Talk Radio and he is also the host of the Alpha Show at TruthWorks Network and can be heard on Friday evenings at 10 p.m. We also want to congratulate our Our Common Ground Media and Communications Production Administrator, L. Michelle Loga, Loga Michelle Odom. Um, she has been named the new project. Uh, manager of a new project at the Black Women's Blueprint in New York City, and we thank her very much for her service to what supports and helps us bring you this broadcast. So thank, to, congratulations to both of those people who I dearly love, and we want to remind you that we continue to reiterate that the core goal of Congress and those people who we are calling the GOP, which are also members of the Democratic Party, um, that the political mechanism that gives momentum to the madness that is happening in America is not about small government, but it is about government under state law. So we give you that thought for this week. Thank you again for being with us, and let's get started. When a talented software developer in Colorado Springs, Colorado, launched his software development company, he never imagined that on the brink of landing a lucrative government contract, the FBI would show up. Not as a welcome guest, but as an accuser, a taunter, a threatening force of over 20 agents for a small company of less than 15 employees. This is the story of IRP Solutions Corporation. The IRP 6 story, an American dream turned nightmare. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. This is a story of six men who were wrongly accused, put on trial, convicted, and sent to prison. This they were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Uh, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for 
the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. Well, on the morning of uh, February 9th, 2005, the day of the FBI raid, I remember uh, someone coming in my office saying the FBI was here. And uh, I thought they were joking possibly, but I uh, looked out the window and saw a lot of FBI agents, so immediately went to the front entrance and uh, just a feeling of shock. Today, it really makes me angry. I, mean, I remember being shocked the day it happened. I remember seeing FBI agents running into our building, chasing down people. Uh, the events uh, of that day are quite clear to me, uh, and it really brings uh, one to realize in this country, uh, you're guilty until proven innocent. When I think of the morning of February 9, 2005, um, I, I really get an empty feeling. I wasn't even in Colorado when the FBI showed up at the IRP office. When I returned to the office the next week and heard some of the first-hand accounts of what had gone on, and then I saw my office and the way they left it, you know, I really felt violated. Clearly, uh, we were basically waiting for our morning stand-up meeting we have every morning and hearing the commotion of uh, all these agents coming to the door and, you know, basically being ordered around into the break room without giving any explanation of what's going on or, or why or who these people were. It took, a, actually I remember it took about a minute or two before they even identified themselves as the FBI. The benefit of the doubt was not given to anyone. It was almost, I mean, you, you want to stand by certain truths about the United States that, you know, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. And it was like, from the minute they walked in that door and the way we were treated, we were treated as criminals. We were treated as if, uh, I mean, I, we were treated as if we weren't even Americans, and it, it just shocks you sometimes that uh, when you think back and you, you realize how authority in the wrong hands can, you know, really be, can really take away your freedom as an American. It seemed as though this story just fell on deaf ears, and it really felt like someone was out to steal our software. And so, you know, when you look back and put all the pieces together, and now we come to this point two years later, and still no action, yet the federal government, the FBI, tried to impede our progress by contacting some of the folks that we were dealing with, Department of Homeland Security. They told them not to deal with us. Uh, so it just seems like several things were going on that just did not add up. I'm reflecting back on our, some of our intentions and motives for our software product, how we really had a passion for helping law enforcement and wanted to build the best law enforcement product out there and available anywhere in the world. And we were successful in that. Yeah. Uh, we had so many accolades and uh, just uh, glowing reviews from law enforcement. And I remember the day where we had the grand opening for our new building. Uh, we had people there from law enforcement, retired uh, officers, uh, people who were uh, in, in law and legal profession, uh, city and government officials, and everybody was very impressed, uh, gave us a lot of kudos about what we were doing. And so it, I find it sadly ironic that the people were, that we're working so hard for, and we were very hard for, for years on this software product, it's sadly ironic that that, that user community, that, that group, would be the ones who would come in and raid us like this. Plus, you, the, the amount of time and effort in listening to the federal government wanted any software package and customizing that for them. I mean, we were, we were catering. I don't think you're going to find another company that's going to cater any software package to that extent 
we were trying to do our best to make sure we gave him the best software package we possibly could. I mean, so it just seems ironic. You're, you're bending over backwards to make sure that everything works and that you have the best software you can have, and then you get ready. Well, and you have to go back to the fact we have made numerous trips to the Department of Homeland Security, mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, ultimately leading up to the point where they had actually took numerous quotes from us for different component modules of the software, leading up to a $70 million quote to, uh, to, to be uh, put into the 2005 budget. So, and then all of a sudden, it's, it's February 2005. All this stuff is so ironic. It's February 2005. We're getting ready to go into the DHS budget, and then all of a sudden, we get raided. And it's just, even to this, even to this day, it's very frustrating with, with all of the changes we made, all of the modifications that we made to the software, that uh, even, even to the point of taking DHS recommendations on our fully functional client service solution and inviting in uh, retired FBI agents, retired immigration and customs agents, and bringing them into our facility to teach us more and more about their business so we can include that functionality and the way they do business into our software application. It just seems completely uh, just impossible that they did not know that we were developing software given our history, not only with the Department of Justice, but also with the DHS and also with the New York City Police Department. During and after the raid on the morning of February 9, 2005, FBI agents continually asserted that IRP was a front organization for fraudulent activities. On that morning, the FBI reminded IRP employees and consultants that they were armed and in one case, slammed a set of handcuffs onto the desk of the executive administrative assistant. The FBI seemingly ignored the facts that IRP management had on numerous occasions met with the Colorado Bureau of Investigations, the NYPD, the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Justice, and yes, even the FBI. IRP was a featured company in several publications and websites to include the nationally recognized law enforcement technology magazine. IRP conducted weekly web-based demos on its solutions for law enforcement agencies all over the country. And for nearly two years, IRP executed a marketing plan that made the government and defense contractors take note. So the question must be posed. Was this an effort on the part of the government, or worse, another company using the government to seize a software solution that the government so desperately needed? The FBI's virtual case file initiative had failed miserably. Hundreds of millions of dollars wasted. The FBI director explaining before Congress and a nation the state of affairs at the FBI. So. Was IRP a legitimate business? Did IRP have a software solution? The government and defense contractors knew without a shadow of a doubt that IRP was legit. And I think about it today and it makes me mad because here's something that we've done for them and they're trying to accuse us of doing something wrong and illegal when 
we weren't doing anything wrong. We were doing something to something good. You don't see a lot of companies out there doing something good for the country. And here we are doing that. And they're trying to stop us from doing what's right and to be able to help them do their jobs better. And you're talking about a company that was really doing something that was good for the country. I think back on uh, months prior to that situation, uh, we had visited with uh, the Department of Homeland Security, we had visited with the Department of Justice, we had gone and visited uh, uh, Senator uh, Ben Nighthorse Campbell, Congressman Hefley, uh, we visited with the Commissioner of uh, Immigration's Customs Enforcement, uh, we had done presentations for the federal government. Uh, we support law enforcement, and we, our whole company is dedicated to law enforcement. As a matter of fact, we used to do other things in the company besides uh, software for law enforcement and professional services. But when we saw the need and we saw uh, that there was this, this, this tremendous uh, gap as far as capabilities compared to the need that they have, the, 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 the evidence of legitimacy with those agencies, you know, uh, with the, the uh, modifications and so forth, the, the, um, the program that they were working on, right, this was, this was a flagship program for the federal government, right, the consolidated uh, enforcement platform that they were looking at between uh, all law enforcement headed up by one of the main branches in, in, uh, in Department of Homeland Security. So when you have uh, the FBI in a leadership role but have not delivered on the promises of the virtual case file program, which is multi-million, hundreds of millions of dollars, and then you have a newly formed agency, Department of Homeland Security, heading it up and spearheading it and having success. They had, they had uh, 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 <clears throat> eliminated anybody that didn't have a solution. Mm -hmm. And here you have this, this small company come in and, and, and we make modifications. In, in other words, they said, once you prove, then we move. Right. We prove with demonstration. We prove with philosophy. We right. prove with architecture. Mm -hmm. We prove with scalability. We prove with database. We prove with user interface. And then, all of a sudden, when we're in the budget and the other agency knows about it, yeah. and they wasted their budget. Right. Yeah. Shot at this point. And do you remember some of the comments we got while we were uh, at meetings with DHS? I remember someone saying oh, yes. that, how did this small company Oh, yeah. You must have a good product. They were astounded. We're looking for reasons to kick people out. Precisely. And so we went through rounds and rounds of meetings. What a, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, not even uh, just DHS, NYPD, but we also had leading law enforcement magazine software reviewers mm -hmm. look at our software and be shocked at how good the software was to the point where one of them even said, this is the solution. Almost immediately following the raid, the management of IRP began to try and clear its name and reputation. IRP's management combed through the warrant in its entirety and compiled the rebuttal to the allegations. IRP drafted and distributed a press release in an attempt to draw attention to the matter. IRP executed a letter writing campaign and contacted every congressman and representative in Washington, D.C. IRP wrote to the director of the FBI, other senior law enforcement officials, and there were even letters sent to the White House to the attention of the President of the United States. Even with all of this activity, IRP would experience yet a second shocking event 
That being, no one responded to their pleas for an investigation to this matter. IRP's suspicions of being victimized were growing with every passing day. These suspicions were enhanced as the management team recalled one very specific telling statement made by one of the FBI raiders. One thing that really sticks out to me is when we were all in, sitting in the cafeteria, one of the FBI agents was sitting there and he actually made a comment that he didn't know why they were there taking all of this information or why they needed this information. That really uh, sent a red flag off uh, in our heads. Well, if he doesn't understand fully what's going on during the course of this raid or why he's even here, uh, something more sinister must be at play here. And I think uh, everything became fully clear when, when they began imaging all of our computers, seizing intellectual property, patent applications, uh, software documentation, software developer, developer notes, and things of that nature, really became clear that this was not a normal raid or something consistent with everyday FBI business. So, how can a small company with such great promise seem to cease to exist? How can an entire government, from the president to every member of Congress, ignore a company's plea for intervention? Ironically, days would turn to weeks, weeks to months, months to over two years of inactivity on a case that was so pressing in the eyes of the FBI. Tonight here at Our Common Ground, the case of the IRP-6. Joining us, Ethel Lopez, Vice President of Just Cause, Sam Thurman, Cliff Stewart, Partners in IRP Solutions, and Rose Banks, the mother of one of the IRP-6. Stay tuned. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I'm Janice Grant, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. And now to our common ground with Janice Graham. And what you've just heard is a summary of the IRP6 case. We wanted to have you as knowledgeable as possible to join us in our discussion with our guests, who are Sam Thurman, president of A Just Cause. Sam has previous business technology and military experience and has volunteered with A Just Cause since its inception in 2005. He is a graduate of the University of Georgia with a BA degree in journalism and mass communications. We'll also be joined by Cliff Stewart, an IT professional with 15 years of experience in network, system, database development, design, and administration, and worked 
at IRP Solutions in a similar role. He was introduced to the IT industry by his older brother, Clinton Stewart, one of the IRP6. Cliff credits his brother, Clinton, for playing a key role in transforming his life from a high school dropout and street thug to a seasoned and experienced software engineer. Clinton's mentorship has shown him to be the definition of a role model in today's society, and he believes that given the proper tools, anyone can rebuild their lives no matter what background they came from. Also joining us is Ethel Lopez in this discussion. She's the Vice President of the Just Cause. Ethel has previous business, government, and military experience and has volunteered with the Just Cause since its inception in 2005. She retired recently from a government-held position after 30-plus years and is campaigning for the wrongful, wrongful conviction wrongful convic- convictions on a full-time basis. Joining us in the second hour will be Pastor Rose Banks. She is the mother of IRP6 David Banks, mother-in-law of IRP6 Gary Walker, and pastor for 20 years to the other four members, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, Demetrius Hopper, and David Zerpolo, that make up the IRP6. The IRP6 are currently wrongfully imprisoned at a prison camp located in Florence, Colorado, with each serving 7 to 11 years for conspiracy to commit mail wire fraud against IT staffing companies. Uh, Pastor Banks is the mother of seven children. Three of her seven children have been wrongfully convicted, sentenced, and imprisoned by a corrupt judicial system in Colorado for crimes they did not commit, even after it was proven with absolute proof that they were innocent. And we thank them all for joining us at Our Common Ground to get an understanding of this case and for us to be able to understand what the end game must be. You're listening to Our Common Ground. If you have just joined us, I'm Janice Graham. And later on in this broadcast, I'll be listening for your phone calls to express your questions or are just outrage about what justice is not in America. Sam Thurman and uh, Ethel Lopez, thank you so much for being with us. And I'm looking for Cliff Stewart, if he is on the board, to hold up his hand and join us as well. Sam, uh, let's start with you and Ethel. Uh, has uh, have we left anything out in our summary that is important for our audience to understand about what this case is? Well, Janice, uh, thank you for having us on your program this evening. Uh, all I can say is, wow, uh, you did an excellent, excellent job of setting up this story so that folks will have uh, the foundation and the background on what the story and the case of the IRP six are. We're talking about an IT company an IT startup company called IRP Solutions Corporation that was started in 2003. And as uh, the clips that you were playing uh, uh, articulated, the company had prospects with the Department of Homeland Security, Department of Justice, NYPD, and several other agencies until the company was raided 
in 2005 for alleged wrongdoing, and that's exactly what we're fighting for. So um, I, I think you did a good job of setting it up. Well, just for people to understand it uh, even more, more detail about it, just what went wrong here? What are the elements that imposes itself on a software business well, regarding Janice, one of the business th- debt? That, I mean, I, I think that is the most outrage, that this is really what is normally a civil matter. Exactly. And to expound upon what the listeners heard earlier, uh, in 2003, now, you know, we stated that IRP Solutions actually started in February of 2003. And to show you just how innovative the company was, to show you the talent, and Gary Walker uh, was the CEO of IRP Solutions, and uh, Gary was also the chief architect and, and designer developer of uh, what is referred to as the, as the case investigative life cycle software. We commonly referred to it as Silk. And, uh, you know, at the time, you have to look at it from the standpoint that 9-11 had just occurred two years prior. The 9-11 Commission report actually stated that one of the problems that led to 9-11 was the fact that major law enforcement agencies at all, at all levels, whether you were talking local, state, federal, uh, across the board, had no means by which to share information and collaborate information. This software that Gary developed would help agencies do that. IRP Solutions was contacted by the Department of Homeland Security, and the Department of Homeland Security, obviously, you know, was set up as a result of 9-11. So IRP Solutions was contacted by uh, the Department of Homeland Security. IRP Solutions was doing its normal due diligence as far as going out marketing its software to other agencies. But when they were contacted by uh, the Department of Homeland Security, it was like, wow. And this was in August of 2003. The Department of Homeland Security asked IRP to come and show the software. They said that they had heard that uh, IRP had developed the software and it was something that they needed to see and that uh, they wanted IRP to come and show it. And, and I, I also worked at IRP as well, uh, Janice, so I can speak firsthand to some of those initiatives as far as, you know, the sales uh, initiatives and the marketing efforts that were going on. So, uh, and to add to that, uh, when the, after doing some of the demos with the Department of Homeland Security, uh, the Department of Homeland Security liked what they saw. And so, you know, you have a small IT company, a startup company, you're going to want to answer to the request of an agency like that. So the Department of Homeland Security said, can you put a federal face on it? Can you make these particular modifications? So in order to do that, Gary Walker, David Banks, and the rest of the IRP team basically went about to see how they could do that engage the services of IT staffing companies, and not just, uh, you know, temporary staffing companies like, you know, you would have someone come and answer the phone on Friday, but folks who specialized in software development, software testing, and, and uh, wanted to get this thing completed and modified to accommodate the request of the Department of Homeland Security. Well, the Department of Homeland Security started talking about pilot projects, uh, the Department of Homeland Security asked for quotes, and as you heard on one of the clips, you know, quotes started going to the Department of Homeland Security, one quote for one module, 
was worth $100 million. Well, in order to, you know, you're thinking that uh, that, that, that uh, sales is right around the corner, right around the corner. The company ended up, sales didn't occur as soon as you anticipated, so that's when you ended up having a situation where debts uh, kind of piled up, as they do with any startup company, and that's when the accusations of, uh, of fraud started coming in, saying that this company is, is, a, is not a legitimate company, is not really developing a legitimate software. And, uh, and when Cliff comes on, he'll share a little bit more about how that spiraled out of control in the sense that you take a corporate debt collection situation and it got criminalized. Mm-hmm. Now, for, for those of you who are listening, one of the things I do want you to understand in the context of what Sam has just shared with us, that staffing corporations that provide expert personnel on a contract basis to companies will do millions of dollars of business with businesses that they believe they will have a long-term relationship with. So it is not unusual for a million dollars, two million dollars even, extension of credit in order to continue the relationship. And in this particular industry, $2 million of staffing costs on a contractual basis is not unusual, is generally routine. So keep that in mind as we go through this discussion. Uh, Sam, I want to switch over to Ethel Lopez so that people understand um, the development of a just cause and their relationship to this case. Ethel, thank you so very much for being with us uh, tonight. Tell us about a just cause and why a just cause is supporting the IRP6 case. Well, thank you for having me, Janice. And um, a just cause was was um, actually came about, you know, because of this this particular case with with the IRP six. You know, we we all, you know, we think that you know everything is is going okay in our lives and and things like that, and we go about our everyday lives as if it's okay, and and we never think about really what's going on. We never stop to listen, you know. And once, um, uh, and and we were all, you know, pretty much the same way. But when these guys were wrongfully uh, uh, convicted. And, and all they were trying to do was create software to help uh, this law enforcement, you know, uh, to, to, to be able to help this country, you know, not just themselves and not just certain people, but we're talking about the local, state, and federal law enforcement, you know, is, is, is what this software was about. And so once we saw, you know, all the work that these guys put into this, and then the FBI going to come in and raid their business, they're going to tear them down, who would have believed something like that? This is not just something that, you know, you, you, we, we thought that you heard about every day because we didn't have our eyes and ears open and, and listening for this thing. But now that we do, you know, um, a just cause came about so that we could bring a light, you know, to situations such as this and, and to see how wrong that the judicial system has done these innocent men and their families. 
And, uh, you know, we, we're, we're out there, we're reaching out. You know, I'm, I'm over the media portion of it, and we'll get to that, you know, uh, later on. But, but uh, Just Cause is out there to fight, not just for the IRP6, but for people who have been wrongly convicted, you know, and, and railroaded by this justice, this so-called justice system. Mm-hmm. We've just been joined by Cliff Stewart, but before we go to Cliff, Sam and Ethel, I, I'd like for you to give us an update exactly where this case is right now. We know that um, IRP6 uh, are sitting in a Colorado prison. They have been sentenced to 7 to 11 years for mail and wire fraud. Exactly what's the status now, and we can talk about the detail of how that sentencing occurred because we, we, we definitely have to talk about the 200 pages of expert testimony and transcripts that are missing. Well, so, Janice, uh, where the case stands right now, uh, the case is under appeal, and there are several points of appeal, uh, one of which is a Fifth Amendment violation, speedy trial violation, uh, violations of not allowing expert witnesses to testify, and connected with the Fifth Amendment violation, as you stated, are 200 pages of transcript that are missing or omitted, I should say, where uh, Federal Judge Christine Arguello uh, out of Denver did not uh, provide those pages of the transcript. Now, Janice, that's critical because those pages of the transcript will validate the fact that there was a Fifth Amendment violation uh, which is a violation, obviously, of the, of the guy's uh, right. And once that is confirmed, then there is absolutely no way that the, that, uh, the IRP-6 uh, can remain in prison. Now, what, one of the things that is, is really uh, uh, important to state also is that on, uh, Just Cause filed a lawsuit against the federal government for those 200 pages of transcript. Assisting a just cause in that is attorney Mark Garagos out of Los Angeles. And most of your listeners, I'm sure, will be familiar with the name Mark Garagos because, uh, you know, he handled uh, many cases of which, uh, high-profile cases of which included Michael Jackson at one time. Um, recently, just last week, Mr. Garagos also joined in on the, uh, on the appellate side of the case, uh, uh, representing the guys on the criminal appellate side of it uh, to uh, uh, work on getting their appeal through and getting the guys released. So, you know, that's where it stands right now without going too deep into it, and we can answer any of the questions that uh, you may have with regard to any one of those points on appeal. And like you say, we'll talk a little bit more about the 200 pages of the missing transcript. Now, Ethel, what's the status on how people are getting involved and how people can support um, bringing justice and also bringing media attention to this case? Well, right now, um, as I stated before, you know, I'm over the, the uh, media team, which we have about 30 people that are reaching out every day. We are on uh, social media. We're sending emails. We're reaching out to um, the, the, the uh, local mainstream media. Um, we are calling uh, Attorney General Eric Holder's office on a daily basis. We are begging him to do an inquiry or an investigation into these over 200 pages of missing transcript for the IRP-6. 
I mean, these guys cannot get a fair appeals decision without that transcript. And so we're asking people to call his office, you know, 202-514-2003 or 2005. Call his office. Have, have two or three of their friends call out, you know, and, and ask him why isn't he doing something about this. And we're, we're asking people to reach out to the local radio and television stations and ask them why are they not hearing about this. You know, we're really grateful for those people such as yourself who are helping us to get this story out. Uh, Dr. Wilmer Leon and, and, and different ones uh, that are helping us to get this, this, this information out there. But the mainstream media has done absolutely nothing nothing for us and even when we try to you know to purchase uh space in in their papers to to put the story and and or or, or different uh excerpts from the story they wouldn't even allow us to do that so we we we're, we're sitting here and 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 we're doing everything that we can possibly do to reach out to other organizations you know whether they be local or 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 what have you and so um we're we like i said over 30 people are continuously calling and and reaching out every day and since we're on the media thing i just want to put this in here because it needs to be said the warden the warden at Florence prison camp warden david burkabau this man has denied every single media request to go into that camp to talk to the IRP6. Every single person, even Dr. Wilma Leon, has put in a request, and he came back and denied it. They come back with all these different kinds of excuses as to security, uh, you can't do uh, recordings, you can't do this, but he sat there and told us, the family and a just cause, that it would be no problem. For, the, for him giving these guys extra time to talk to the media. And he lied, he lied, he lied. Warden David Berkebile at Florence, Colorado prison camp. This man continues to lie. And then he's got these administrators, Randall, Mar, uh, Randall Mitchell, he lies for him on a constant. And he helps him cover this thing up. And then they have the nerve to ask these guys, why do they want their story told? Well, if you don't have anything to hide, why wouldn't you want your story told? Well, you know, folks, I want you to listen to this because we continue to go over and over and over this stuff about suppression of injustice against black people every week. Now, all of you who are uh, adoring fans of people like Ed Schultz, Melissa uh, Harris-Perry, Joy Reid, Chris Hayes, Chris Matthews, Reverend Al Sharpton, uh, uh, Greenwall, who's uh, heading up the media stuff and exposure for Edward Snowden, uh, Amy Goodman, um, uh, Papatino, Papo Ring of Fire, Norman, Goldman, all of, all of you who are fans of those people, you need to be getting on their Facebook pages, you need to be getting on their Twitter accounts, and you need to be Twittering, why aren't, why aren't they talking about this story? We went through this with Marissa Alexander. It took me a year, a year, to get major media people who I knew, who I could pick up and call at home to get on that story. As a result, Marissa Alexander spent two years in prison, and she was sentenced. We tried our common ground, and I know there were those of you out, here, out there who helped me, 
we tried to get Marissa Alexander on the radar in national news long before she was sentenced. So can you please just get on this right now? And it doesn't matter how you come down on the issue. The issue is this was a civil matter. This was a business who had debt. I have never, ever, ever heard of in my how many, I won't even say, but more than 32 years holding a, a license heard of the FBI raiding a business based on a civil debt. That's, the out, that's one of the points of outrageousness in this particular case. The other is this. When you go to trial, a transcript is made of those proceedings. I never heard, ever heard of 200 pages, maybe a page, maybe a half a page. Maybe the machine lost the power, but not 200 pages of the exact testimony that might exonerate those accused. And, Janice, if I could interject there, uh, Attorney Mark Garagos, he even stated that in his 31 years of practice, he has never, ever heard of this. And, uh, you know, we, we visit the uh, IRP uh, 6. We visit Gary and David and Dave, Kendrick, uh, uh, Clinton, and Demetrius. We visit them every week. And today we were actually talking about that. And it is so, uh, it's so strange that it, throughout the entire uh, three, more than three weeks of testimony, there are several other sidebar conferences held uh, with, uh, with Judge Christine Arguello. Every okay. other sidebar conference is in that transcript. This, this is incredible. People, businesses rack up debt two months month, a week before they file bankruptcy because they cannot pay the debt. And it is unheard of that the FBI or any other law enforcement agency other than the civil courts would get involved. And our IRP solutions never even filed for bankruptcy. They were simply extended the same kind of credit extension that staff, large staffing companies with specialized personnel do every day. Let's bring Cliff uh, Stewart in on the conversation. Good evening, Cliff, and thank you for, for joining us. How are you doing, Janice? I appreciate you having us on. Well, thank you very much. This is, I mean, this is absolutely maddening. For those of you who have just joined us, uh, Cliff is um, uh, is the brother of Clinton Stewart. He, uh, Clinton Stewart is his older brother, and he is one of the IRP six. Cliff, for uh, for a moment, just give us your perspective from having worked in the company, from having been involved in this from the beginning. And one of my questions that I have is there were a couple of company officers who were not in the building at the time of the raid. 
the FBI raid where there were 26 FBI agents who came in and took intellectual property along with the computers and left the financial records behind. Tell us from your perspective, give us a, this bird's eye view that you have of what happened here. Well, Janice, you know, on the on the day of the raid, you know, I got to the office probably about 9 o'clock. The FBI was already in there. They came in, and, and from what I was gathering is that, um, you know, like Ken Barnes had mentioned on the, on the uh, intro clip that you played, that they really kind of forced their way in, didn't want to present the search warrant at first. But when they came uh-huh. in and said they were looking for financial records between okay, these staffing companies. Okay, let's talk about the warrant. I want to interrupt uh-huh. you right here. The warrant said that they were uh, able to gave them permission to seize what records? The financial records between IRP Solutions and the staffing companies that they had dealings with. That is what the warrant stated. But instead of going after those records, because at, at the point that they finally showed the warrant, the executive says, okay, Here's the filing cabinet that is entitled financials. They set it in the middle of the floor, said, you know, take what you need, make the copies you want, and let us about our day so we can continue to do business. Well, they left that filing cabinet sitting in the middle of the floor, and instead they went throughout the entire company. They went to every office from the janitor all the way up to the CEO. They copied everything from every computer. They went into the server room. They, they basically threatened us, if you don't log on to the servers, we will crash them all and get the data that we're looking for. And, and this is under this, um, you know, this, this lie of we're looking for financial records. And myself and Ken Barnes, you know, were, uh, I, I doubled as a, as a software developer and a system administrator working at IRP Solutions, and we went back and forth with them. Why are you looking on these servers for financial records. You want email? That's fine. Why do you want us to log you on to the development server, the test server? I mean, this is where all the intellectual property is at. Why do you want us to let you into those systems when you're looking for financial records? And, um, you know, as, as David had stated on the, on the clip you played, one of the FBI agents that was over the technical aspect of pulling all this data off, when we ask him, why do you want this? I don't know why they just told me collect everything from all of the machines that are in the building. And, and with no answer, so, so you look at it and you say, well, what are they really here for? What are they looking for? Why, if the financial records are sitting there in the cabinet, why are they going after everything else in the building? And, and stayed there over 10 hours and left the financial records or stayed or about 14 hours, I'm sorry, left the financial records, sitting there, never went into that filing cabinet, and while they were doing all this, they had all of the African-American employees corralled into the break room with an armed FBI agent at each door saying, even if you want to go to the restroom, you will be escorted. Now, when they went to, when they went to Enron, they came in with two FBI agents saying, we need financials. They took them to the, to the room, made their copies, they took, uh, you know, two, like, plastic bins of, of information and went about their way. We saw this on television. Two FBI agents with Enron getting, uh, getting, getting raided. When IRP got raided, over uh, 20 agents, about 22 federal agents armed, 
they come in, they had they had hand trucks with you know dollies with with bin after bin of hard drives and 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 files and all these things, and it couldn't even get on the local news. Now you're talking about this is Colorado Springs, Colorado. The it's the second largest city in Colorado, but there's really no news here. They chased down an otter that had escaped from the zoo. Chased that otter for two weeks. That was headline news. I kid you not. An otter that escaped from the zoo. Who cares that an otter is is found its way back to the wild? But you have a small African-American business gets raided by 21 FBI officers, and that never makes the local news? That is unheard of. So the core of this case is essentially the government is maintaining, and by the government I mean the prosecutor. I mean, folks, don't get uh, get it clear. What happens in Washington stays in Washington, and what happens in Colorado Springs, Colorado, stays in Colorado. There's not a lot of clear communications when some, something like this happens between a field office and the FBI in Washington, as you know it. This is not J. Edgar Hoover's FBI, kind of like but not the same. So you have people in the field who are able to filter what, what is going on in a field office and especially in the uh, federal prosecutor's office in Washington. The facts are that in order to land a lucrative government contract, companies find themselves in months and months of negotiation where the government comes back and says, yeah, we want to buy your product, but uh, we want you to do this, we want you to do that. That is exactly what happened at IRP Solutions. Nothing different, nothing strange. But the government, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sam and Cliff, the government is now asserting that the software that they were assessing to purchase as part of their uh, software programs that were going to be used by FBI agents didn't exist. Except that is that. Go ahead. (laughs) This is my book. Mm -hmm. Except for Amy Curlin, Philadelphia Office of the Inspector General, was in detailed talks with IRP, except for IRP was in detailed talks with the Department of Homeland Security, and as a result, you had a staffing company who is saying, yes, this company is looking at a project working toward a $12 million pilot project with the federal government, and we will extend, we will do whatever we can to go along with the ride. That's absolutely right, Janice. And, and, and just to, uh, you know, give a precursor to, to what you're talking about, not only does the uh, federal government, you know, what stays in Colorado Springs stays in Colorado and what stays in D.C. stays in D.C. You're talking about what stays in Colorado Springs is not even uh, what, what is seen in Denver. 
because the Denver FBI office, when contacted by one of these staffing companies, now this is after the raid. After the raid, one of these staffing companies basically said, okay, well, I work with IRP. They went to the FBI office and said, hey, I work with IRP. This is what happened. The FBI themselves responded back to the staffing company and said, this is a civil matter. You need to take this up under civil action. There's nothing the FBI can do for you. Now, how is it that the Denver field office doesn't know about what happened down in the Colorado Springs office? That is totally, totally sickening that you can say, so, so you're telling me this group of FBI agents down here headed up by the special agent in charge, John Smith, who pulled off this raid, that they didn't tell the, the field office in Denver, and by the way, they had several Denver FBI agents down at the raid. They told us they came down from Denver as basically, quote, unquote, backup. But the field office in Denver did not know enough to, to tell this staffing company, well, this company has already been raided. There's an investigation. But to tell them the truth about it and say this is a civil matter. This is a business-to-business contract. These are – this IRP solution, they were done in Bradstreet, uh, business credit checks done on this company. These staffing companies knew exactly what they were getting into. You know, to your point, when they see lucrative – contracts or, or the, the, uh, the, the fact that, hey, you guys are in line for a pilot project, you guys are in line, you have one module out of 18, that one module is worth $100 million with the federal government, we want to be on board when that business closes. They went in with their eyes wide open, they knew what was going on, they did the credit checks, the Dun & Bradstreet themselves, and knew that we have to make a decision whether we're going to take this risk. If, if the business closes, we're, we're, it, it's great, we're a part of it, we're already in. If it doesn't close, there might be some debt that we might have to write off or we might have to sue them in civil court. How does that become a federal issue that now suddenly the Federal Bureau of Investigation is doing debt collection? Right. Uh, Cliff Stewart, thank you for that for that summary. We're going to have to take a break at our common ground, but as we go to break, we want to put, want you to put this case in this context. Here is the irony and the thorn. On June twenty uh, June two, in June two thousand and five, CNN reported that the FBI acknowledged a report from the House Appropriations Committee indicating the Bureau had been aware of problems with a project known as the Virtual Case File System, even in 2003. The FBI said that this $17 million project was falling apart and failed and did not do what it wanted to do. Many of you will recall that the FBI Director Mueller at the time was called before the House Appropriations Committee to answer as to why the FBI had spent millions of dollars developing a solution to its field communications and file management system that did not work. You're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and we'll be right back. Here, one man, one plan. Here come the dirty deed. Took it from his hand. A liar is a thief. A thief is a robber. Yeah. You're a devil bastard. Yeah. Not from my father. The time has come. What shall be done? Justice 
deserve, because we are one. No justice, no peace. Injustice must be listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Look around you. One in four kids in the U.S. faces hunger. It's not always easy to see the signs, but in this land of plenty, there are kids that don't know where they will get their next meal. Join Share Our Strength in Food Network and take the pledge to end childhood hunger here in America by 2015. Learn how at nokidhungry.org. Their next meal could come from you. Coming up on Our Common Ground, we kick off Black History Month looking at the Gullah Geechee Nation, February 1st, 10 p.m. Open your eyes. Please. Open an eyes. Yes. number of islands off the U.S. coasts of the southern states of South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida live the Gullah people, a group many believe is the most authentic African-American community in the U.S. Just off the coast of South Carolina, Marqueta Goodwine, also known as Queen Cat, is the founder of the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. The U.S. Congress passed the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Corridor Act in 2006 to fund the preservation of the rich Sea Island culture and history. If Hona ain't know where Hona are from, Hona ain't going to know where Hona are going. So if you don't know where you're from, you won't know where you're going. Us, the land is our family because our blood, sweat, and tears is in this soil. Queen Kuwait. Queen Kuwait Marqueta L. Goodwine, head of state for the Gula Geechee Nation. She's a published author, computer scientist, lecturer, mathematician, historian, columnist, preservationist, environmental justice advocate, so much more. She is the founder of the premier advocacy organization for the continuation of Gula Geechee culture. Well, I'm a head of state like any other head of state in the world. My responsibilities as chiefess of the Gullah Geechee Nation range. They're not only as a spiritual leader, but also as a political leader. 
So on one evening, I might have an opportunity to sit and really engage with other Gullah Geechis and just relax and enjoy myself and celebration. But most of the time, I have to travel a great deal. I have to go to other countries of the world and negotiate with these countries, talk about cultural preservation and continuation, talk about human rights. I also represent my people at the United Nations. And so there's any number of things that I have to engage in on any given day. Kuwait will be our guest as we begin our celebration of Black History Month on our common ground. February 1st, Kuwait, head of the Gula Geechee Nation, 10 p.m. Hope you'll join us in our discussion, our authentic history. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. There is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're 7th in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, 3rd in median household income, number 4 in labor force, and number 4 in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. What we see before our eyes, the sky is green and the grass is blue. But one thing you can't deny, these people are sabotaging this economy. And this, uh, these people are sabotaging this country. On TruthWorks Network, the best of political pushback. Go for it, Alpha. The Alpha Show. They needed this information. That really uh, sent a red flag off uh, in our heads. Well, if he doesn't understand fully what's going on during the course of this raid or why he's even here, uh, something more sinister must be at play here. And I think uh, everything became fully clear when, when they began imaging all of our computers seizing intellectual property, patent applications, uh, software documentation, software developer, developer notes, and things of that nature, really became clear that this was not a normal raid or something consistent with everyday FBI business. So, how can a small company with such great promise seem to cease to exist? How can an entire government, from the president to every member of Congress, ignore a company's plea for intervention? Ironically, days would turn to weeks, weeks to months, months to over two years of inactivity on a case that was so pressing in the eyes of the FBI. They don't understand that business is warfare. They wanted people to find non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. The IRP Six Story, An American Dream. 
turned nightmare. Broadcasting bold, brave, and black. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. throughout Department of Homeland Security. 
How are you getting free labor when you're building this product, you're putting your name on the line, you're putting your reputation on the line? These guys collectively have over 100 years of professional IT experience. If you go out there and you see some of the projects that they worked on, this is top-of-the-line stuff. Gary Walker sat in front of the prime minister of the U.K. and laid out uh, software for one of the companies that he used to work for. Th- these are the type of professionals we're talking about. And you're saying they're doing this, getting free labor, they're marketing their product, they're building out this product, they're trying to help their country to ensure that another Line 11 never happens on American soil, and the prosecutor stands there and says, you're going after free labor, and that's what we're prosecuting for. Whoever gets prosecuted for free labor, and none of the staffing company money came through the hands of the IRP-6. These are staffing companies, like you uh, said, Janice, that are bringing in specialized professionals to do this type of work, and the staffing companies are paying these people directly. There's no money funneling through IRP and, like, they're taking money off the top. So when he makes this statement, well, nobody got rich and they're getting free labor. You cannot get free labor if you're building a product, if you're marketing a product. That is called going in debt for your dream. And every entrepreneur in this country, every small business in this country is willing to take that risk because they believe in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And Janice, so, if I may interject for to as well. That when a staffing company, how a staffing company operates, IRP contracted these people through the staffing company, and the staffing company handled all payroll for those persons procured through those contracts. So IRP only reported the hours or approved the hours to be charged to an individual's account, and the staffing companies then paid the persons which created the debt for IRP. That's right? exactly right. Okay. And, and Janice, if I may interject on, on something else that Cliff was stating as well. You know, this case, uh, just to show how sinister it really is, it morphed from one thing to another. If you examine the warrant, the search warrant affidavit, it initially has language in there that uh, uh, that Special Agent John Smith had to base the fact that he needed to raid IRP Solutions, uh, basically calling IRP Solutions a front organization. There is language in that warrant that says this company is purportedly developing software. When he knew that the company was already developing software, that was a foregone conclusion. So how can you raid a company under the auspice that it is purportedly developing software? So once you prove that the company is, in fact, developing a legitimate uh, uh, product, then there is no longer a basis to investigate or to say that there is any wrongdoing. The other thing I wanted to point out also, uh, and to piggyback on what you were just talking about, Janice, as far as how the transactions were, uh, were, went about with regard to staffing agencies placing uh, contractors at IRP Solutions and the contractors reporting their time to the staffing companies, then the staffing companies paying the contractors. Well, if you examine the indictment, and Cliff and I have spent a lot of time doing this, the language in the indictment is basically spelling out normal business practices. They basically took what you just stated, Janice, 
and called it mail and wire fraud because of the fact that uh, someone submitted their timesheets via email or fax and that IRP Solutions may have confirmed that this person worked there via email or fax. There they called that mail and wire fraud. That is really called normal business as usual. This is how you conduct business. But if they want to call it a crime, that's where things get out of control, and that's where, you know, something needs to be done about it. Mm-hmm. Let, let's talk about trial. Now, at trial, uh, as defendants, I, the IRP6 presented uh, expert testimony and experts who worked on the software package where the government was contending did not exist. Am I right? Yes, you're you are absolutely cool. right. <laughs> they, okay. There's an ex, uh, expert witness. Now, as far as the software, now there's a forensics analysis company that works at the request of the federal government. It's called Califorensics. And uh, there, uh, Mr. Vilfer uh, runs Califorensics. The government requested for him to do an analysis on the, the Silk software that IRP created. And basically, mm-hmm. when he and came Silk back... Is the name, and, excuse me. Silk is the name of the software product. Yes, I'm C-I-L-K. sorry. Silk is the... Yes, it's CILC, and it stands for Case Investigative Lifecycle. And that is the, that is the, the flagship product of IRP Solutions. And so when they had Mr. Don Vilfer of Califorensics, um, when they had him do his forensics analysis of the software, and, and, and this, is, this is really sickening. The government requested, said, you're, you're our guy. We use you all the time. You check out this software, and you tell us, you tell us what's going on with it. Well, when he comes back with, with uh, favorable praise about the Silk software and how it could do exactly what IRP said it could do, how it could work for federal, local, and uh, state law enforcement, then they basically call their, say that their guy, that his uh, qualifications aren't good enough. They say, well, we're not going to use that. We don't, we don't trust in the way that you did your analysis of the software. You use this guy all the time. You requested him. You had him do the analysis when he came back favorable and said how, how good the product was. Then all of a sudden, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's, 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 he, he doesn't have what it takes to do an analysis. And they would not allow IRP to use the report that Mr. Vilford came up with. Because now, if you tell me that's not, uh, that's not prosecutorial misconduct, I don't know what it is. And, Janice, Mr. Vilford's qualifications, just to really spell it out, he was a, uh, a certified fraud examiner. He was also a retired FBI software forensics analyst. And Mr. Vilfer is an attorney. Mm-hmm. I know all of you out there are wondering, well, if all of this is so, then what is the motive of this prosecutor bringing these charges, distorting the charges, dismissing their own expert um, expertise, expertise that they have used in the past, what would be the motive for all of this? Cliff, try to help us all out here, you and Sam, about 
what is this about? Before I went to break, I read a CNN report from 2004 about a software problem, a huge multi-million dollar software problem that the FBI was having and the House Appropriations Committee was demanding that they get it fixed. Did your software have anything to do with that software failure? Well, the thing that it had to do was it was in direct competition of the virtual case file. Now, that virtual case file cost the the, uh, taxpayers to the tune of $425 million. Director, uh, former Director Mueller, uh, as as you mentioned before, of the FBI, stood before the, the House committee and basically had nothing to say except we did we lost the money SAIC you know they promised us a product we have absolutely nothing to show for it but I'll have you something in a year how is it ironically that this happened so close to the raid of IRP solutions and so close to the fact that they tried to steal the software by imaging all of the computers now you, you and, and people sometimes say, well, you guys, you know, this is a theory. You guys are, you know, this is some type of conspiracy theory. What's going on? We invite you to go check all of the evidence that we've collected in this situation. We invite you to check the report on the virtual case file. We invite you to check the report on their second set of software, which was called the Sentinel Project, that they just were supposed to release in 2012. This Sentinel Project cost the taxpayers uh, over $800 million. So you're talking about $1.3, close to $1.3 billion that the taxpayers have paid for two software projects that have completely failed. The, the, uh, the report on the Sentinel project by, that, ironically, you have to pay to get this actual real report from the inspector general, but we're going to put it on the, the uh, Free the IRP 6 site, so you can go down there and download it yourself at Free the IRP 6 and number 6.org. This report says that if they implement this Sentinel project, that it will open up security breaches to the U.S. Uh, security programs. So what, basically what they're saying in layman's terms, this is another piece of crap that the taxpayers uh, basically got rolled over on. So, so you're talking about $1.3 billion, and the men that have the real solution that showed it to the Department of Homeland Security and said this is what – what we have in hand, not what you pay us eight hundred million, four hundred million, and then we'll build you something. It's not a pretty PowerPoint uh, presentation, but this is actual software that was presented, that was demoed to the government, and they love what they saw and said, "We just need you to put a federal case on it." The men that have that are sitting in pre- federal prison and have been there for eighteen months when they have missing transcripts uh, as on uh, from their case. They don't have a, a proper chance at, a, at an appeal because Darlene Martinez, the court reporter, would not give up the, the uh, court transcript. Judge Christine Arguello would not hold her feet to the fire to tell her, you better give it up. Why? Because she, she forced one of the defendants to take the stand. And you look at this whole thing and say, why is it that these men have been silenced for 18 months? And that's exactly the thing. Somebody is wanting to keep them quiet, and the fact that they have the Silk software in hand for numerous reasons. One is, first off, there was $1.3 billion that was made for not even having a product, just giving away to these companies. Are any of them in jail? Has any, any executive from SAIC been indicted? Any executive from Lockheed Martin that created the Sentinel Project, have they been indicted? Absolutely not. 
they're walking around with $1.3 billion collectively in their pockets. And the odds are they're walking around with your software in their pockets. I said it. You folks ought to be breaking out in a cold sweat. Your tax dollars went down the drain with Homeland, with FBI not being able to deliver on millions and millions of dollars of software and then piling up more millions of dollars in taxpayer debt because the fix to the other million dollars, multi-million dollars, didn't make it. And then they are using their authority, uh, an, an application of a misauthority, misapplication of authority of the FBI to bring the IRP Solutions Corporation to some place where they cannot defend themselves. And that's where I want to go before we bring on Pastor Rose Banks. I want to talk about what's in the missing 200-page transcript. And, and Listen Janice, very carefully before, before, because you'll understand why I got to missing. <laughs> uh, i tell you, Janice, your government you, at work. Before you go to that point, Janice, just on the point of the software, we just want to make sure that the audience knows. I mean, they, they didn't get the software. They did take some intellectual property. That software is safe under lock and key, and it is four times greater than what it was at the time of the raid of IRP solutions. So this is another reason why we say they're trying to keep these men quiet because they realize we don't have what we thought we stole, and so now we must keep them silent because if it comes out that we've spent over a billion dollars on taxpayer money and then they come out and say we have it and they have it in hand and show it to the federal government and show it to the taxpayers, then they're really a widow's creek. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the things I want to tell you out there, you ought to be outraged at the very thought of this is, one, how your government operates, and two, at the waste when, in, when we have a Congress who's slashing resources for poor people, which affect us most, while they're bantering back and forth about millions of dollars lost in software development, whether there was an IRP 6 or not. You ought to be enraged, absolutely enraged, that there is no moral or ethical fiber that runs through your government. This is the FBI gone rogue. And I know all these 111 calls that I have on this board that are dropping by the half dozen now, that this is nothing more than monitoring of how this case is being played out. Uh, So have at it. Uh, Our guest tonight, Sam Thurman, Cliff Stewart, uh, Ethel Lopez from uh, A Just Cause are all with us to talk about this case. And if you have not 
read about this case, if you do not know about this case, you can go to www.freetheirp6.org or www.a-justcause.com or you can go to the Our Common Ground Facebook page or our website at www.ourcommonground.com to get more information to get clear. I mean, this is a very this is a very straightforward but complex case of injustice in this country. Uh, Ethel, would you give us the number, please, of how people can contact the United States Attorney General Eric Holder to get oh, his attention? Yes, his number, Eric Holder's number, is 202-514-2003 or 2005. Okay, so I think that all of you need to write that number down because right, left, up, or down, something is smelling in the fields here. I can I, I, I can smell it. Thank you, Ethel. Um, for some, one of you, I can hear your, your phone, the, the broadcast in the background, so we want to ask you to turn down your computer. Um, and I want to thank all of you. We've got just a house full, and if you want to join the conversation um, in our chat room, it's blogtalkradio.com backslash, that's to the right, OCG. Uh, to talk with Olivia Hodges, who is a coordinator of um, information uh, regarding the IRP6, is in our chat room, and we thank her very much. She's been giving out information, and we're being asked by people in the chat room who never have a pencil on their kitchen table while they listen to the broadcast. Uh, what is that number again, Ethel? <laughs> That's okay. The number is 202-514-2003 and 2005. Um, I, I want to ask Sam and Cliff to kind of summarize where you are in, in the appeal and uh, what people can do to assist you. I know that you... Cliff, one of you have had a recent discussion with um, with um, Senator Jesus, the one arm bandit and a half a brain. Who is the senator from Arizona? Uh, McCain. Oh, Senator John McCain. John McCain. I know one of you had had some discussion with him recently about this case. What was the the summer, what is a summary of your your engagement with him? Well, uh, Janice, uh, just cause we, we uh, as part of uh, a lot of the things that Ethel is, is uh, heading up on, on the media outreach, uh, we also uh, have letter writing campaigns going to senators and, and, and uh, legislators all over the, the country. And uh, so we sent a letter to Senator John McCain as well as some other, uh, you know, folks who we feel – uh, have passion about judicial injustice, 
And we got one letter back basically stating that there's a separation between uh, the judicial branch and the uh, legislative branch and that they cannot get involved. So we sent another letter. Well, that letter was followed up with a phone call. We got a phone call on Thursday of this week, actually, uh, from one of the staffers in uh, Senator McCain's office uh, trying to explain again that, you know, the uh, senator does not get involved and that Congress is prohibited from getting involved because uh, of uh, the Constitution. And they went about stating that, you know, Senator McCain has a strong stand and really believes in the Constitution and, and, and uh, its provisions of that separation of judicial and legislative branches. Well, I made the comment back to him. It's like, so where does the common citizen in this country go when their constitutional rights are being trampled upon? And when you've gone to every agency in Washington, D.C., seeking justice and trying to raise awareness of this situation of the IRP-6. When you go to the Department of Justice, they say it's not their job. When you go to the Civil Division of, of the uh, Department of Justice, they say it's not their job. You go to the uh, Judiciary Committee, uh, and they say it's not our, our job. We cannot investigate it. You go to the Office of Professional Responsibility, Office of the uh, Inspector General, and yes, Janice, even the Black Caucus, and they say we can't do anything about it. So my question to that staffer was, so where does the citizen go when this kind of thing happens? And, uh, and I also asked that staffer, go to Senator McCain, pose these questions to, questions to him. Since he firmly believes in the Constitution, which we all do, and we appreciate the Constitution, but if it's not working to protect the rights of the citizens of the United States, we need to reform the Constitution, and they do have the means within Congress to write laws. We need to have laws written to protect the rights of the citizens, especially when, uh, when an injustice like this, such a travesty of injustice occurs, such as that in the IRP-6 case. Well, it, it's really interesting, and for those of you who, who are regular listeners of this show and of the Alpha show over at TruthWorks Network, that we've been talking about the Judiciary Committee and their overreach of their responsibilities in regard to matters in this country. So they have a new website. And I'm going to suggest to you that you go to the judiciary.house.gov website. Find out who the members are of the committee. Daryl uh, Issa is a previous um, chair, but the chair is Bob Goodlett, a Republican from Virginia. And we suggest... Uh, that Goodlett, Dar uh, Bob Goodlett and Daryl Arthur need to know about this case. So we want some volunteers, hold up your hand, to get on that right away on Monday because Cliff and Sam are raising some, 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 some very critical issues. Where does a regular old person who is at the end of the stick of injustice in this country go to seek the resources to find justice? That's a very good question. 
And it is a question that is critical to being on our common ground. Very critical. Now, so we, we have the number from Ethel to call the office of the United States Attorney General Eric Holder and, and, and to inquire about what his office is going to do about the matter of the case of the IRP-6. Then you're going to go to the House Judiciary Committee. Then you're going to go, another place to go is the House Appropriations Committee. Then one of the people, I mean all of the people who have been talking about this needing, the need to reserve the debt ceiling in this country need to understand how taxpayer money is being spent. That's what we need to do. We've only got a, a very little more time, but we want to talk with, with uh, Pastor Rose Banks, because you all are not going to believe it, but these people actually raided uh, the church where the members of the IRP6 uh, were members, and... David Banks, one of his, one of the IRP6, his mother is a pastor. You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. Don't forget, we're looking at the issue for the end game of six men who sit in a Florence, Colorado prison camp serving seven to 11 years for conspiracy to commit mail and wire fraud against a company. But it's a criminal charge brought by the United States of America with your dollars. This is our common ground. We'll be right back. We will be right back. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Empowering Black America to achieve itself. Our Common Ground, where friends come to meet comrades. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Each Saturday, 10 p.m., Our Common Ground, powering up on Black Thought. And we 
thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. As we go into February, don't forget, we will be on February 15th doing the annual Our Common Ground Black History Month. You've got to come and test out your uncategorized, un-Americanized, no-bleached black history knowledge here at Our Common Ground. We're taking score. Thank you for being with us, and um, we hope that you will like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Janice OCG. Thank you, Sam Thurman, Cliff Stewart, and Ethel Lopez for joining us tonight to talk about the case of the IRP6. This is fantabulously outrageous, folks. I mean, if you think Dewey on the corner can't get justice, six software successful businessmen sitting in prison and because we have Pastor uh, Rose Banks with us now joining us in this conversation, I won't tell you what it is, but you know what it is. This is, well, I'll just pause and say, as Alpha says, just damn. So get on those phone calls Monday morning. If the White House hears from you, if the department, if the Attorney General's office hears from you, if the House Judiciary Committee hears from you, if the House Appropriations Committee hears from you. And, you know, the thing is, we need to jack up some of our elected officials. We need to jack up the black caucus. We need to jack up all of them who talk about justice. You need to jack up all your friends over at MSNBC because they are not talking about this case, however they fall on it. They're not talking about it. It's not being reported. If you you can't say that you are empowering black America and you allow the media. You still pay for it. You pay for the FCC. You pay for the SEC. So you are paying for a portion of MSNBC to exist. You love Rachel Maddow? Get on her. You love Ed Schultz? Get on him. You like Chris Chris Hayes? Get on him. They've been talking about Chris Christie until I'm ready to scream. We all knew he was corrupt and a political extortionist long before this. So give him something else to talk about, would you please? Thank you. I would appreciate it, and so would Pastor Rose Banks, who is the mother of IRP. God, I just hate calling people things like IRP6, David Banks. Pastor Rose Banks, thank you for joining us in this conversation, and uh, we welcome you to our common ground. And may I say uh, to you, Janice, thanks from the bottom of my heart for, the mo- for, for you taking the time to, to let our story be put out there. should have been out there a long time ago. I am totally shocked. I tell you, I've been in this world 69 years, and I am totally shocked at how we have believed all these years in a system. I think I questioned things that I saw over the years anyway, but I never thought that the corruption was at this level. I, never, I can't even imagine somebody taking away somebody's life 
for a dollar. I, I will never be able to relate to that. I, I can't see anything in this world being as that important that you would take six men and put them in prison because you didn't want them to have a dollar or two. And I know they, uh, a lot of people think of that as a lot more, but you know what? It don't have that kind of value to me. And so I can't even begin to relate to it. Every weekend that I go to that Florence prison and, and get to the gate and that sign up there is saying Department of Justice, I cringe inside. There's no such thing as justice in this country, and especially for the black man. I mean, if you're rich, you can purchase it. But if you can buy it, it ain't worth It's not real justice. And so when I look at this, I am saddened inside. I am sick. But, and how secretly they go about destroying the citizens in this country and keep a blanket over it. And I am also appalled by the fact that we got blacks all over this country that started out at the bottom, and now they've made it to the top. I, am, I, I cannot believe that you can see your brothers all over this country. It's in the news and everywhere. We're not in the dark on the fact that the government uh, 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 actually take uh, our black brothers and sisters and put them in prison. We're not in the dark on that stuff. And I'm amazed at all the black celebrities and the people who, who have somehow made it, if you want to think of it that way, that you don't reach back for your brother and speak for them. You know what's killing us in this country, Janice? We are too quiet. We talk about it and whisper it in the corner and over here and over there, but we don't really scream it to the mountaintop. I think as ever before, we don't have to get violent in this country to make it work. We need people that will come out of their houses, out of their jobs, and really let your voice be heard from the mountaintop. And if you scream it loud enough, the whole world will look at the United States and say, what in the world is going on in that country? while we point our fingers at other countries and tell them what they should do. I was almost appalled when, 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 when Dennis Rodman went to North Korea and then, and then, and then uh, uh, Stephanopoulos on, 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 Good Morning, on Good Morning America said to him, well, did you get a chance to talk to him about human rights? I thought, wait a minute. What? Let's talk about human rights in this country. That we are still under bondage. We are still under the feet of the oppressor. We are still being treated like second-class citizens. I, I can remember reading Reed Johnson, uh, who did the who did the uh, who did the Ebony and Jet uh, a magazine. I remember reading read reading his 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 life story, and he said, "In this country, it doesn't matter how far you get to the top, they still think of you as a second-class citizen." But you know what? That's never going to stop until people get up off of their duff and say, wait a minute, let's join together, let's scream it to the mountaintop, and I'm not talking about a day or two, I'm not talking about a week or two, I'm talking about continually, what made Martin Luther King so successful the whole time he lived, there was something he was fighting against, it was in the media day and night, we, all of that's died out, I wonder what happened to all those people who were supposed to be civil rights leaders, who won't even speak to this issue what's wrong with, with, with Justin Jackson and and and, and, uh, and uh, Al Sharpton and all these people? Where are they at? But you.
you know what? During the time Martin Luther King was born, all they looked like they were just right there with him. But you know what? It proved who they really were. Because once they shot Martin Luther King, everybody that walked with him scattered like a bunch of scared rabbits. You came and found they still want to talk about what used to be. Let's deal with what's on the table today. There's no such thing as justice for the black man in this country. We are kidding ourselves. If we think for a minute that we are going to get justice, if we're only going to get it when we come together as people and join together as a force, there's enough black people in this country. If you raise your voice and join hands, you're going to see a change. The reason why we don't see one, all we do is sit in corners and whisper about it. And if it, I don't want to get involved in it, I don't want to get involved. You know what they remind me of? They remind me of the black Negro in slavery days that was in the field and got promoted to the house. And that's the way I look at some of these people. They were once field people like all of us. But now they got promoted to the house. And, and all they do is sell out their own people. It's a sad tragedy when we as a people... Don't stand up for each other. And say, you're not going to do this to my brother. When, they, when I heard about the story the other day about this boy, 14-year-old, who they electrocuted and, and said he killed two white girls, a little young black boy, put him in an electric chair. They had to prop him up on books because he wasn't tall enough. That made me sick to my stomach. I thought, where were the voices when that was going on? Where were the black people of this country that says, you're not going to electrocute our people? We got more black men on death row uh, in solitary confinement, all this. I had three children, including David, one of the RP6, who's been wrongly convicted. And you say, well, you know what? She's the angry black woman. I, I, look, I can tell you this. Anger definitely says to you, I don't like what you did. And if we can't express that in this country without being stereotyped that we're out of control, I'm not out of control, I'm in control. My thing is, let's do something about it. We can talk to the cows come home and roost in trees until we get up and say this is going to stop. Slavery will continue. It's still in this country. It's just in a different form. It's still in this country. They can hang you on a tree, but they do it secretly, put you in prison, and won't even let you communicate outside of those walls. I'm in behind those walls right now. They don't have a voice. We have to be their voice. And let me tell you, I'm not going to stop. I told them one day after the FBI raided their business, I said to them, it devastated those men so bad for a while I couldn't even, I mean, they were they, almost like they were lost. I talked to them for two years. I said, let me tell you something. I call it mouth-to-mouth resuscitation of these men. I said to them, I said, what are you going to do? If you don't stand up and fight for your right, who's going to fight for it? I mean, you can't lay down and roll over and die. That's what a lot of black people have done. They just roll over and give up because it looked like there's no way out. There is a way out. I said, look, the prize in your hand, don't die with it in your hands. It's not worth that. If it was worth something then, it's worth something today. And those people will never be able to touch that software. I told them, I said, you'll rise to the occasion if you stay faithful. If you continue to do the right thing, you will rise to the occasion. And the thing that they rejected and tried to destroy, the God I serve is going to put it back on there. It's going to bring it back in the forefront again. I believe with everything within me.
It's a matter of time before those guys are set free. I believe everything that's within me, that that gift that, they, that God gave my son-in-law uh, to create this for this country, that will not be thrown away. They always want to kill the dreamer. You're not going to kill him this time. You kill the dreamer, you kill the dream. It's not going to happen. So I, I appreciate from the bottom of my heart that you would give us this opportunity to get our story out. When the main media shut down everywhere, when the black uh, officials in, in Denver wouldn't even lend a hand to this case and said to us, uh, 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 the former mayor of Denver, he said, uh, 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 Mayor Walter Webb, he sat down with these guys. He said a competitor did this to these guys. You think he did something about it? No, he did not. There's the, there's the president of the black bar in Denver that, that these guys sit down with. They blackballed them all over the place, and they, didn't have, they couldn't get a job nowhere. And we had to pull in together as a family and a church and, and help these people. They couldn't get a job nowhere. They go there to the president of the black bar. He never recommends one person who would help these guys. And you know what he told them? Don't keep calling me, guys. I have to have money. If I'm going to give you some advice, i got to have money. When do we think that justice is worth fighting for, and it's not about how much money we can make, but it's about what we can do to make a difference in this country. Somebody better wake up. They better wake up, because if, if you think the black man is oppressed today, we haven't seen the half. Wrong will never correct itself. If we don't stand up and say, I don't want this no more, you're not going to put our men in prison, you're going to be sure if you put them in prison, they did it. You're not going to just come up with all these little, these little uh, fragile, I mean, little fragile things and, and, call, and say, look, I, I think you did this. No, do it without a, a beyond a reasonable doubt. My our guys never got a fair trial. They never been to trial yet. That crooked prosecutor Matthew Kirsch and that crooked judge Christina Guayo, may God judge them for what they need to be judged for and the thing they've done to our family to take them away from us. And then you go to the prison and they're eating food marked on the outside of the package that says not for human consumption. With expired food that's been there for two or three years, they feed it to those men. They don't care about them. Nobody cares. Yeah. Everybody in prison is not guilty. And we Mother need Rose as a people, Banks. for God's sake, to stand up and say something about it. Mother Rose Banks, we are honored to be able to support you and your family and the men of IRP6 in your quest for justice. Folks, yes. what you just heard was a mother's plea for justice, a mother's understanding of what injustice is, and a mother's understanding of what this country, after 69 years, has taught her. Yes. Call. Please call the Attorney General on Monday. Please call the White House. Please call the Appropriations Committee. Please call the Judiciary Committee. This as you just heard, there is nothing more I can add to what Pastor Rose Banks, the mother of David Banks, and the mother-in-law of Clifton Stewart has of had Gary to say Walker. tonight. Gary Walker, I'm sorry, has yes. had to say tonight. Thank you so much uh, for inspiring us to do right. Inspiring yes. us to understand our history. Inspiring us to break the chains of illusions about what justice is in this country, Rose Banks. Thank you so very much. 
to Sam Thurman, to Clifton, to Cliff Stewart, and to Ethel Lopez and Olivia Hodges. Thank you so very much. We're going to stay on this. We're going to be back on this. And you can listen weekly to their show, Coast to Coast IRP6, and it's being posted in our chat room about where you can hear the updates and more information, freeirp6.org. Thank you all so very much, and thank you all for being with us. You've been listening to Our Common Ground at Speaking Truth to Power and Ourselves. I'm Janice Graham. Don't forget, Don't forget. make the calls on Monday. You have an obligation to make the calls. Freeirp6.org. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven shall ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. February of each year, the nation comes together to celebrate the history of African Americans. We hope you'll join us all month, February, on Our Common Ground. Live Saturdays, 10 p.m. Coming up on Our Common Ground for Black History Month 2014. Dr. Susan K. Smith. Dr. Smith is the author of The Book of Jeremiah Wright, The Life and Ministry of Jeremiah A. Wright. She is the Gordon Cosby Seasoned Fellow at the Spirit House Project. Dr. Smith will be joining us on February 8th. On February 15th, the annual Our Common Ground Interactive Black History Game. We hope you'll come and test your knowledge of black history. And Dr. LaFrancis Rogers Rose. On February 22nd, she is the founder and CEO of the International Black Women's Congress is a celebrated author and lecturer, and we'll be pleased to have her join Our Common Ground once more. All on Our Common Ground during the month we celebrate black history with the nation. History matters. Stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the days when hope unborn had died. Yet with a steady beat have not our weary feet come to the place for which our fathers died. Lift every voice and sing. We hope you'll join us at our common ground. Celebrate Black History Month, February 2015. And we thank our guests, Sam Thurman, Cliff Stewart, Ethel Lopez, and Pastor Rose Banks. Have a good weekend. Make the calls. I'm Janice Graham. Well, our Common Ground with Janice Graham. 
transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground tonight. We appreciate your support and your listenership. You can support us further by liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter at JaniceOCG. And get information about this broadcast at www.ourcommonground.com. Please join us each Saturday night, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves. We hope you'll call the White House, the Department of Justice, and your local elected officials in support and advocacy for justice for the IRP-6. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. As James Bowen says, you can only be destroyed by believing that you really are what the white world considers a nigger. I know the truth. I know enough. So what I'm asking you is, what is your endgame? Oh! 